Amen. Well, good morning once again, church. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. We're going to be in verses uh, 20 to 27 this morning. Turning there uh, after I uh, just did announcements a few minutes ago. I went back down and sat at my seat, and uh, Owen, our uh, five-year-old son, leans over. He goes, Dad, good job. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. And I just was really happy to soak that in because I know it will not be long before. He says, Dad, you embarrassed me up there. So I'm glad. I appreciate that. Uh, and my dad is actually here with us this morning, and my brother uh, joining us this morning. And that's really special for me to have them here. And my dad never once embarrassed me, actually, so I'm hoping I can do the same thing uh, for, uh, for, for Owen as well. That was a joke. There were a, a one or two times that I can remember that he embarrassed me. Well, this morning I'm going to be, as you're uh, turning to Daniel chapter 9, I'm going to be uh, preaching out of the Christian Standard Bible translation. Uh, it's a little bit different. If you, uh, you might know that I have uh, one very strong opinion about Bible translations, which is that uh, my one very strong opinion is that the one that you have in front of you is very good, and we are very blessed to have it. And so uh, the one that you read is, if that's your favorite one, that's the best one that you should read. And what's way more important than uh, wondering which translation you should read is just reading, right? So that's, so that's my one very strong opinion about Bible translations. I usually preach out of the ESV for a couple reasons I don't have to get into, but mostly just because it's my favorite and the one that I'm most familiar with. But um, this morning I'll be out of CSB for uh, other reasons that I might not even share with you, but that's what it's going to, so it's going to be on your screen. So normally I don't put the verses on your screen that we're preaching in because I want you to have it in front of you, right, and get in the habit of that. But this morning uh, you should have it in your translation and then it will also be on the screen. And we have just so much to get to this morning that I am going to stop filibustering right now and uh, I am going to pray because I need the Lord's help in a big way this morning. So please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, uh, once again we come before you and uh, just awed at the, at the fact, in awe of the fact that we can come before you, God, and you hear us, you hear me right now. And that, uh, that thought is beyond my mind, how that can be so, God. And you are with us. We sing praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. That even that fact of the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God and three persons. It's beyond, even the most basic facts about you are beyond our true ability to, to comprehend and understand. And so we just come and we just worship you and we just do our best, God. And you, through your spirit, uh, just minister through that, us doing our best, God. And even though we stumble and fall and words fail, and you, through your spirit, are always faithful, God. So we praise you for that. And Lord, you know I need help with this passage this morning. Thank you for the insight that you have brought to mind in my study this week. And I just pray that the things that you want communicated will be heard clearly, Lord. And the things that you don't want communicated will be for quickly forgotten, Lord. Help me as we preach and help our hearts to be willing to accept your word for us from Daniel chapter 9. We love you, God. Thank you for your grace for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in the uh, fall of 2019, uh, Emily and I signed up to run the Indianapolis Mini Marathon uh, in that following May. And 
Emily is a big runner, as you know, I talk about that sometimes, and I am a, a big uh, not runner. I take pride in my not running abilities, and, but I, so I'd never done anything like this before, and so we signed up, but in order to do it, because for her, it's kind of like no big deal. She's done the mini, I don't know how many times, like uh, a bunch, and so for me, it's like, I don't, I physically don't think I can do this, but we'll try. So they had this thing called the Miler Series, which is you could sign up for a bunch of races beforehand that would kind of space you out so that you're ready to go, so you would, there was a first one was a three-mile race, and then a six-mile race and then a 10-mile race, and it was all leading up to this 13-mile race. And uh, I have kind of feel like in the second half of Daniel here, we've kind of been in that little bit of the Miler series in that uh, we've had some really hard passages, but they've all been leading up <laughs> to the second half of Daniel chapter 9, which is very difficult. And, and so back in, as you guys can probably figure out in your head, in, in, uh, when we were training for the, the mini marathon, my prayers were answered and the race was canceled. And so after the three-mile race, I didn't have to do it. And, uh, and so similarly, I'd been praying for some sort of natural disaster to hit us before we had to get to Daniel chapter 9, the second half. No, that was just kidding. That was just a bad joke. But uh, we're here. And so this is the big day. And uh, this is a tough passage that we're in this morning. Here's a little bit of what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 26, we're going to see, it, it talks about this coming ruler or a prince. That prince or ruler, depending on your translation, could legitimately be referring to Jesus or the Antichrist. <laughs> legitimately. Do you think it changes how you... Uh, understand a passage if something's referring to Jesus or anti-Jesus, right? It, spoiler alert, it, it makes a big difference what you do with that, right, in the way that you interpret this passage. So this is, there's cool stuff in this passage for sure, but there are some really hard things to figure out as well. It's probably one of the more difficult passages uh, that has inspired probably the widest number of interpretations of, of almost any passage in the entire Old Testament. But uh, if your first time here, uh, then let me uh, catch you up a little bit on where we've been in Daniel because we're really not even going to be able to understand this passage unless you understand where we're at in Daniel. So just as a reminder, the people of Israel had disobeyed God for a long time, hundreds of years, and uh, as a punishment, God allowed this foreign nation called Babylon to defeat Israel and send them into exile. And even if you're not familiar with your Bible at all, if you don't know anything about Babylon, right, just the name kind of tells you what that, everyone say Babylon in like your most evil voice, Babylon. Butch, you didn't say it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it, Butch. Thank you, good job. Yeah, Babylon, right? You just sound like these are just some nasty dudes, right? Babylon, we don't want to mess with Babylon. And Babylon has taken over Israel, and now they're living in exile. And the book of Daniel is written as an encouragement to Israel while they're living in uh, exile under this foreign nation of Babylon. And so the first six chapters tell us, and you should be able to kind of rehearse this now if you heard this multiple times, how to live in Babylon, right? Living life in Babylon. And it's stories about uh, Daniel and his friends and living faithfully to God in Babylon. And then it immediately changes in chapter 7, and it turns into apocalyptic literature, which is literature about kind of later things. And uh, the, the theme of chapters 7 through 12, the second half, is leaving Babylon. So we have living Babylon in the first half, and now in the second half of Daniel, we're in this section about leaving Babylon. In other words, when and how is this exile going to end? 
Daniel chapter 9, which we covered two weeks ago, begins with Daniel is having his daily quiet time and reading the book of Jeremiah. And he reads in the book of Jeremiah what was written before that Israel, it was prophesied in Jeremiah that Israel would be in exile in Babylon. And he sees in the book of Jeremiah just how long that exile is going to be. Does anyone remember uh, how long that exile was going to be according to Jeremiah? 70 years, I think somebody said. Uh, that's exactly right, 70 years. And Daniel is uh, doing some quick math on the back of a napkin and realizes, oh my goodness, it's almost here. Right? The, the time that was prophesied is uh, almost fulfilled. And you have to remember, Daniel has only seen God be uh, faithful uh, over and over and over again. And every dream that he is interpreted, every sign that's given, uh, God's just a, batting a thousand, right? And so Daniel reads this and he says, in my understanding of this 70 years, this should be ending soon. And so he prays this beautiful prayer of confession. And uh, we, like I said, if you, we covered that a couple weeks ago. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to that sermon. But he's essentially, the first half is praying and asking God, God, you say that your, our exile is going to end. We rightly deserved this, uh, but God, for your sake. It's not because all of a sudden we're righteous, right? You remember this part? It's not because of our righteousness that we want you to end the Babylon. God, for your name's sake. God, it's looking bad for you out here. The nations are mocking and laughing you, and, and your name is being trampled on because your, our, your people are being trampled on, right? And so he's saying, God, for your name's sake, and this exile, please. And that's the first half. And then the second half is God's answer to Daniel. And that answer has been confounding theologians ever since to figure out exactly what it means. And I'm no theologian, but it's been confusing me all week as well. Because he tells them, he tells Daniel, excuse me, it's not 70 years it's 77s or 70 weeks or 70 weeks of years is, is what he means. And so here's where this starts to get confusing. People over the years have basically tried to treat this passage like a giant math problem where they try to line up those 70 weeks of years with like the years of Jubilee in the Old Testament and to get it to match up with these different historical things. And then it depends on if you use a 360-day year or a 365-day year. Or if you agree with Benedict Zuckerman's Sabbath year calendar. If you go with Ben Zion Wachholder's approach to the Sabbath year. Or if you agree with the critique of this guy. And I'm not making this up. This is his name. Bob Pickle. He's one of the leading writers on this that I found this week. And I, so I'm like in the weeds on, on this on Thursday. I, I go off site and I work on my sermon. And I try to get it pretty much written by Thursday. And, and the end of Thursday comes and I'm just like in the weeds. And I don't know, something about reading that guy's name, Bob Pickle, <laughs> of like, it like snapped me out of it. And I was like, what am, I, what am I doing here? You remember when we talked about apocalyptic literature and we said, a lot of times we try to figure out exactly what every single little symbol and number means when that's not necessarily the ultimate point of why it was written. And so I was breaking the number one rule that I had uh, given to you about reading apocalyptic literature, which uh, essentially is uh, parenting in a nutshell, right? Like, don't do that thing that you learned from me, right? Like, everyone's kind of had that, oh, yeah, I know exactly where that behavior is coming from. They're seeing it from this guy right here, right? So that's kind of what I'm like. I'm like, I'm breaking the number one rule that I said of, like, we don't need to figure out every little thing because that's not the point. What's the point 
of apocalyptic literature. It's to find encouragement and hope in your present circumstances. So as I'm reading about Bob Pickle, I'm realizing I don't think that God said this to Daniel to give him a, a math problem. Like, all right, Daniel, get out your abacus and, and work this one out. I, I don't think so. Which means we need to look a little bit deeper. And when we look a little bit deeper, we're going to find some really cool and really encouraging things. And so we're going to borrow from the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and we're going to, as you see on your screen, we're going to look for strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow in Daniel 9. And towards the end, I'll give you kind of some of my thoughts of what I think some of these things could mean. But ultimately, the point is, and the hope is, as we look to this difficult passage this morning, the one we've been building up to, that we can find strength for today and hope for tomorrow. So look with me now as we have a long buildup. So let's see if we can find that. And look with me starting at verse 20. It says this. While I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my petition before the Lord my God concerning the holy mountain of my God, while I was praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision, reached me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Anyone ever prayed in extreme weariness? I have. He gave me this explanation. Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I have come to give it, for you are treasured by God. So consider the message and understand the vision. And here's the first thing we see that's just kind of like this gem that I missed, right? This first thing, even before we get into the difficult stuff, is that God answers prayer because he loves you. <laughs> Did you see that? Look at verse 23 again. At the beginning of your petitions, meaning your prayers, an answer went out, and I've come to give it to you. This is what Gabriel says. Why? For you are treasured by God. Isn't that just wonderful? And I think if there's one thing for us to take away from this passage, and only one thing, it, this might be it. God answers your prayer because he loves you. You might think, well, that's just for Daniel. How do I know that applies to me too? Jesus said so, Luke 11. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who, who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I love that. Christmas is coming up, right? And there's certain gifts that you give your kids because just, frankly, they've just worn you down, right? And whenever you're guilty of that, like, they just ask and ask and ask and ask. It's fine, okay, if it gets you to stop asking, I will get this for you for Christmas, Right? That's some gifts, but there's other gifts that you give your kids, right? Because you just are just so excited to see them open it, right? You're excited to see the joy that they have on their face. Like, yeah, I want, I desire to give this to my child because I know how much it will bring them joy or grandchild. And I think that's a lot closer to how God answers our prayer. Sometimes we think it's the first way, though, don't we? Like, like, oh, God just, he's, he's, He's not super paying attention 
So if I just kind of wear him down, maybe eventually he'll just get tired of me asking, right, and give it to me. You just can see God is just kind of just distantly cold of like, okay, fine. That is not it at all. God sends Gabriel to answer Daniel, not because he was annoyed by his asking, but because Daniel was treasured by God. And that is true of you as well, friend. (laughs) Hear this this morning. You are treasured by God. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does our perfect, perfect heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to us? So let that reminder offer you hope. Sometimes, even if it doesn't seem like God hears or cares or knows what's on your heart, he does and he answers because he loves you. And sometimes we have, it's not always the answer we want. It's not always the answer we're looking for. Sometimes his answer looks like a non-answer, right? So even if it's not always the answer we want, it's the answer that's best because he loves you. And so maybe there's just someone this morning who has been crying out in prayer and has felt like they have just been crying out to the wall. If that's you know, you are treasured by God and he hears you and he loves you. Amen? It's good stuff, isn't it? We could just end there, honestly, but uh, we won't because there's a lot more to unpack here, a lot more hope to be found. So here's the second thing that we see in this passage. So we'll take some explaining. You don't have a land problem. You have a sin problem. I understand that doesn't make sense right now. Actually, as as I stand here now and think about it, this uh, maybe sounds like a direct uh, uh, confrontation of our farmers, right? Pastor Mike, our yields weren't so good this year. Well, you don't have a land problem. You have a sin problem. That's not at all what I'm saying, okay? So just bear with me, and this will make sense in just one second, okay? So look with me at verse 24, because now we're going to get into the meat of what what, uh, God's answer was to Daniel. So look at verse 24. It says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city, to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So 70 weeks. Like I said, the word for week is the same as the word for seven. So he says, God says it's not 70 years, it's actually 70 weeks of years, which is 490 years, right, is what God is saying, which is way longer than 70 years, right? And this is a big deal to Daniel because, again, as he's getting into his old age, he's thinking, I might see a return from exile. I might finally see us established back in the temple like we're meant to be. I might finally get to experience this thing I've been waiting my whole life for. And then God says, it's not 70 years. It's 70 weeks of years. This would have been crushing news to Daniel. So why was it going to take so long? Why so much longer than the 70 years? Well, we see it in this passage. God wanted to do six things through Israel's exile. These were the six things that you see right up on your screen right now that God wanted to accomplish in their time of exile. Number one, to bring the rebellion to an end. Number two, put a stop to sin. Number three, 
atone for iniquity. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Number five, to seal up vision and prophecy, which means like to fulfill and complete the prophecy. And number six, to anoint the most holy place. Here's a question as you look at those things. Would all of those things have happened if God had just punished Israel just for 70 years of exile and then brought them right back into their land? Of course not, right? God is thinking on a much deeper level about the exile than Daniel is here. And this is the key. This is the key to the whole thing. Are you ready? You guys, if you've been checked out, check back in with me for just one minute, okay? Here's the whole key. Daniel is thinking as he prays to God, how can I get Israel out of Babylon? Does that make sense? Here's what God's thinking. How can I get Babylon out of Israel? Whoa. Let me say that again. Daniel wants to get Israel out of Babylon. God wants to get Babylon out of Israel. And that was going to take way more than 70 years of exile. That was going to take an act of God. So let me ask you six questions and you can feel free to answer these aloud. And they all have the same answer. Who is the only one who can bring rebellion to an end? Yeah. Going for Jesus here. Sorry, that was a tough one, though. Who's the only one who can bring it? It's Jesus, right? Who's the only one who can put a stop to sin? Who's the only one who can atone for iniquity? Yeah, good job. Who's the only one who can bring in everlasting righteousness? Righteousness that lasts forever. Very good. Who's the only one who can seal up the word of God by fulfilling every single prophecy? And who is the, here's the cool one, what person is the only one who can be anointed to be the temple? Jesus. You see, it says anoint the most holy place. Anoint is something you do to a person. But the most holy place is talking about the holy of holies inside the temple. Who was anointed to be the temple? It was Jesus, right? When he died on the cross, at the moment he dies, the curtain tears in two. Only Jesus can do these things. And so you might remember that Daniel is praying in the beginning of the chapter saying, God, for your sake, restore our land and our temple because it reflects poorly on you for your people to be decimated like we are. And God is answering, I am doing so much more than restoring your land. I am restoring your hearts and not only your hearts Israel but the hearts of all the nations so Daniel needed to understand Israel's biggest problem wasn't a land problem it wasn't that they didn't have their home anymore their biggest problem wasn't that they were now in the minority where they live their biggest problem wasn't persecution their biggest problem wasn't even that they couldn't worship freely in the temple. Their problem was that they had rebellious, sinful hearts full of iniquity that hadn't been atoned for, and they needed that to be fixed. So here's how this all comes around to us today, church. Because I think in a similar way, it's easy to look around at problems in our world and in our country, especially be like, man, if we could just get some stinking people in political office who love Jesus, could change the laws to be more favorable to Christians, like that would solve so much. 
And there's nothing wrong with wanting a greater Christian influence in government. We should all want that to some extent, okay? So don't take this beyond what I'm saying. We should want that. But what I'm saying is that you could have, we could have a government in our country with a Christian president and a Christian vice president and 100 Christian senators and 435 Christian representatives, and it wouldn't do a single thing to change what is fundamentally a problem of the heart. Again, not that we shouldn't care about politics or be concerned We shouldn't be informed about who we're voting for and what they believe. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to remember, church, it's not a land problem. It's a sin problem. And if we're orienting our lives and all the things that we care about around political solutions, then we're missing the deeper picture. Because let's just take it to its extreme. If you're successful beyond your wildest imagination and you take the people out of Babylon, political solutions can't do anything to get Babylon out of the people. Only Jesus can do that. Does that make sense? We don't have a land problem. We have a sin problem. So sure, we would certainly be, love our country, be thankful for the country that we live in, be thankful for those who have fought for our country. Absolutely. But where's our ultimate hope lie? It's, it's political solutions are not going to get you very far. It's Jesus solving the problem of the heart. Here's a third thing we see. That Jesus came just at the right time. Jesus came just at the right time. Verse 25, you can look at it. It says, know and understand this. Ironically, this is uh, the most impossible to know and understand of the whole passage, but here we go. He says, know and understand this. Okay, we'll do our best. God. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So somebody's going to make a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. To read about in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. From that issue... Until the anointed one comes, the ruler, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. All right, so we heard it'd be 70 weeks of years, and now we're getting the breakdown of what those weeks of years are going to be like. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times. Like I said, there's going to be a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And then the people would go back to Jerusalem and the city would be built and all the problems would be solved, right? Nope, like in the words of the great Lou Holtz, not so fast, my friend. It's not going to solve all the problems because it's going to be in difficult times. And after those first sevens, there would be 62 more sevens in which nothing really happened. And then verse 26 tells us, after those 62 weeks, the anointed one will be cut off and will have Nothing. Be cut off and we'll have nothing. This is cool. Another way to translate we'll have nothing is actually and not for himself. So after those 62 weeks, the anointed one will be cut off and not for himself. Again, can you think of an anointed one who came and was cut off but not for himself but for the sake of other people? There we go. We're doing great. Jesus. Okay, so this is about Jesus. And this is the part, this is not the controversial part. We're getting there in just like one minute. There's going to be this time, and then the anointed one would be cut off, and, and it would not be for himself. 
And this is where it gets tricky, all right? So there's maybe, maybe like six or seven of you who came in this morning, and you've been like, this is kind of like your Super Bowl as we've been going through Daniel, like finally we're at the passage, right? So here's a point where I just disappoint all of us all at once if, that, if that's you. And if you, are, uh, if you don't care about this at all, you are welcome to mentally check out at this point. I don't give you very, that very often, but I, I saw a, a tweet the other day that uh, somebody said, I'm waiting for everyone in this church service to bow their head in prayer so I can update my fantasy football roster. I thought that was pretty funny. Not that that has ever happened in, in this room by, by no means. But, um, but So if you need to update your fantasy football roster, I guess now's a good time to do it. But here we go. We're gonna, I want to put this chart on the screen that we sh- I showed you a couple weeks ago. I made this chart that's about biblical prophecy to show all the different options of when a prophecy can be fulfilled in Scripture, right? So there's some prophecies in Scripture that we read about in the Old Testament that are things that are prophesied that would happen before the Messiah would come, and we saw that in Daniel chapter 8. There's other prophecies that are about when Jesus came the first time. Uh, There's other prophecies that are fulfilled after Jesus came, but before our lifetime, uh, and then there's other prophecies that uh, have yet to be fulfilled. They're therefore after Jesus comes and they're, they're after our lifetime and or during our lifetime, I guess, for all we know. And then, uh, then it also there are prophecies about the second coming of Christ. And then I said what, what makes it even more confusing is that there's many times, if not most of the time, that these things are actually fulfilled in any combination of these ways. And what makes Daniel chapter 9 verses 20 to 27 so difficult is that I think there's elements of options B, C, D, and E all wrapped up in these verses. But primarily, here's where I show my cards, is that I think it's mostly talking about B, about the first coming of Jesus. So look at, look at the, the second half of verse 26. We're getting into it right now. The people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood, and until the end there will be a war. Desolations are decreed. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering, and the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. Whew! Take a deep breath. So here's the big question, like I said at the beginning. Is the ruler in these verses, is it referring to Jesus or the Antichrist? Now, a lot of times, you know, as I, when I get to difficult things, I like to just kind of take the cop out and I say, well, it's both. But it's not both here, right? It can't be both Jesus and the Antichrist. So what is it? If it's referring to the Antichrist, then in verse 26, the people of the coming ruler are talking about people in the last days who will be following the Antichrist is how some people take this. And they're going to, at some point in the future, destroy Jerusalem and the temple, and that he's going to try to fool Israel for a while, but then he's going to put a stop to their sacrifices. So verse 27, you see it says, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. So some people take it as, uh, as, uh, as being in the future, kind of about what is going to happen in the end times when the Antichrist is, is, is here. And this uh, was a legitimate way to read it. There's people way smarter than me who think that. However, you could also legitimately understand verse 20, this referring to Jesus, like I said. Verse 27, let's look at it from a completely different view. He will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. Who did that? Jesus did that, didn't he? 
Hebrews chapter 10, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, where there is forgiveness of these sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. So in lieu of having uh, any more time or really any desire to get deeper into this, this is kind of where I lean, that this is talking about Jesus atoning death and resurrection on the cross that put an end to the sacrifices and made a way for you to be forgiven and live eternally with God. So the point of all of this, though, as we go back to it, is Jesus came at exactly the right time. And we don't need to necessarily get out our calculator to nail it down to the day like many people do. He came at the right time. When did he come? At Christmas. It's a Christmas sermon, everybody. I told you I was going to get there. He came at the exact right time. And you know what? He's coming back at just the right time, too. Because even though he came to be that once-for-all sacrifice for sin, he hasn't put an end to sin yet, right? Sin still exists in this world. We haven't yet experienced everlasting righteousness. We have the Spirit We don't have everlasting righteousness. And so there's still some things that need to be done. It hasn't all been fulfilled yet. And so we rest on this promise. If he came once at Christmas, he's coming again. And if you're following Jesus, it means you have the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, it's a guarantee of your inheritance to come. And you know what? I think that's just where we're going to leave Daniel chapter 9. If you want to do more study on your own, you're certainly welcome to do that. I'm happy to point out some good resources for you. But I think the most important thing for us this morning, seeing this, even though we don't understand everything that's here, these verses offer tremendous strength for our current moment and a beautiful hope for the future. So praise God. God listens to your prayers because he loves you. And he offers a solution to our real problems that go so far beyond anything that man can do. Because we have a heart problem. We have a sin problem. And he came just at the right time to be a sacrifice for sin. And he's coming again to kill sin completely and destroy the enemy and bring about eternal righteousness and so whatever you're going through in this moment you can have hope that he came once and he's coming again praise the lord amen let's leave it right there this morning let's pray heavenly father god thank you again for your word even though there's difficult things that we don't fully understand we trust you we trust your spirit to minister to us through the reading and preaching of your word god and i just ask that we would be encouraged this morning to know that you hear us and we pray And you answer because you love us. You came to fix the problem that every single person has in their heart. You came not just for Israel, but for all the nations. And you're coming again. So Lord, may we long for that day when you return. May we be faithful until that day. In Jesus' name, amen.